Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Welcome to the Mo Show podcast, episode 41. I have someone in the studio today, Carla Develo. Hi, Carla. Kif halak. Alhamdulillah. Bit of Arabic in you. Shwaya. Oh, I think. <laughs> so, so let me just get through the intro, and I think people will realize why you do have a bit of Arabic in you. Carla is a businesswoman slash entrepreneur slash film producer, basically someone who I really wanted to get on the show. She's been living in the GCC for almost 10 years. Is that right? Okay. Hence the Arabic and doesn't look like she's going anywhere soon. Thank God. Carla, welcome to the Mosho podcast. Shukran. So um, what made you initially want to move all these many thousands of miles away from home? Well, I think I can start by saying my first visit to the Gulf was in 2005. Um, I was I was working for a movie studio in Los Angeles and uh, Dubai was launching the first ever international film festival. So I worked uh, for a gentleman in, in Los Angeles named Avi. Uh, we had a film they wanted to premiere in the festival. Uh, last minute, he decided he couldn't come on the trip, and he says, "Go in my place." I was 20 years old, <laughs> and That's young, super young to be to be sent, uh, you know, to represent. But I'm sure you killed it. Go on. Yeah, it, went, it was exciting. I, it was a time when, you know, I was I was googling Dubai and just didn't even, you know, not a lot of people, especially in LA, at that time, were visiting. Uh, Emirates, Emirates had had been traveling back and forth, but I was, I was so enamored by the architecture and everything in the Gulf, and I couldn't believe this is a place that was just opening up now uh, to a lot of tourism. People were people were traveling there. They're now launching the first film festival, and so I had this opportunity and took a hold of it. And the second I arrived. Um, I remember landing at the airport and saying, I really want to live here one day. Wow. And I don't know what that calling or reason was, but I just remember feeling this, you know, this gut instinct inside. And I, I, I was there for two weeks. It was the most incredible trip. I met some amazing people. I had known some people already that were studying in the U.S., lived in the U.S., and it was just a great opportunity to be in one place to connect with mm -hmm. everyone. It's funny because many Americans or Westerners or people who have never been to the region, Dubai is their first landing spot. And that was the first one for you, and that was the first time you interacted with the Arab culture, safe to say? Um, actually, no. I think um, at a young age, I, I grew up around Saudis. Okay. Um, I, I grew up in Sarasota, Florida, and and when I moved to Los Angeles, there were a lot of Arabs from all over, from from Egypt and Lebanon and Saudi that that lived there and were studying there, and I just always gravitated to the culture. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I've been uh, I've been there. I'm very happy. Awesome. So uh, you started off uh, childhood was in Florida. You said. Yes, I, I was born and raised in Sarasota, Florida. What part of Florida is that? Um, it's near Tampa. So north. North. You uh -huh. like my geography? <laughs> there you go. It was like the only class I was good in. So you started there, and where did uh, where did life take you after? So uh, at eighteen, 
I became obsessed with Los Angeles. I loved film. I loved movies. I loved figuring out uh, how 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 they came about, how they would how they would be financed, to produced, and even at a young age. I mean, my father uh, always. I think I was maybe eleven or twelve. Was teaching me about private equity and junk bonds and Wall Street, and I became really you know into learning about how the structure behind all that you know comes about whether it was being a producer or being behind the scenes or just some facet of it i was really interested in other worlds and uh your first job in la was was in the movie business yes my first job uh i took a plunge at 18 and uh i was supposed to go to college um and i asked my father if you really want me to go to college, I will. But I feel like, and at that time, around 17, I started my own company and I started doing events. Um, I knew I knew another um, event person in New York City and I told her I would love to be involved and I kind of helped raise money to get this company going at 17. And so I started doing that and kind of learning about business and at 18, I just felt like if I go to college right now, I might be losing out on other opportunities. And so I, uh, I did not go to college. Tough decision to make, but you look at the people who really made a name for themselves. The Zuckerbergs. Um, gay, I mean, if we go through the list, yeah. the most Elon successful Musk people. Musk. And, yeah, exactly. Le LeBron James. These people, they didn't go to college. Um, it's uh, it, it's I think it's a it's a way to secure a um, a good job eventually, but I think for those who want a little bit more, I'm not saying go or don't go, mm -hmm. but the entrepreneur, um, it's almost acceptable for you not to go to college if you know what you want to do at the age of 18, 19. You're almost wasting your time if you exactly. do go to college. That's what I'm trying to, what I'm trying and, to say. And who knows what they want to do at 18? <clears throat> who knows what they want? You might do. want to go and be a doctor and get in your second year and hate it. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I found out at the age of 37 what I want to do, which is this 37. So imagine at 18 or 19, you just don't know who you are. Exactly. Uh, so I think you took the right choice by by not going there. Yes, I look back now. I mean, definitely there's, you know, there's things about college and, and, and having a network and a tight-knit circle. And I do have friends that went to school in Boston and were there between four and six years and, and all over the world in some of the greatest schools. And they have this tight bond. But I started working. And I yeah. just, I feel like now it's, you know, now that I look back, it was uh, definitely a ballsy move. <laughs> but... Yeah, here we are. So work. Nothing out. risked, nothing gained. <laughs> uh, Harper Bazaar wrote something uh, about you, quoting you saying, "The importance of achieving true joy, as defined by, is defined by you and only you." So, upon reading that, I want to ask you, like, where does your true joy come from? I think it. I think my true joy, really, I you know, I had to, I had to really work on myself to kind of get to that what do you really want to do other than following a trend or doing something that you know maybe is is a passion for a friend of yours or other people around you because it's so easy to think you like doing something yeah. but it's hard to go within and figure out how do you get there and 
you know, I really, I like, I like just, just doing what makes me feel good, trusting my gut instinct, trusting the people I have around me, um, you know, and, and every time I'm in different circles or areas, I know what, what the takeaway is after mm-hmm. and how I feel. Yeah. So I kind of just gravitate to that. I think a lot of the time we put up with stuff that doesn't serve us for whatever reason. And I think the more we let go of what doesn't serve us, whatever it could be, and stick to what does, I think that's the result of, of joy. I just really liked what I read about it. I mean, you, wrote, you said the importance of achieving true joy is defined by you and only you. So distinguish what it is that finds you, gives you true joy, and stick to that. And I think that'll lead to happiness, which goes into my next question I was going to ask you. Are you today happy? Do you consider yourself happy? I am happy. You know, I think, I think everything... And achieving the true joy, it goes in waves, right? So maybe what I'm happy doing today, it might change next year or in, in six months. Like you can't, you know, th- things are always changing and you have to learn how to adapt and know what feels good. You know, maybe if I work so hard to get somewhere and now I'm finally there, but it doesn't feel good, then I need to go re- reevaluate. Totally. And, and move that along, yeah, so. so I wanna just pivot back to uh, life and times in LA, a place that meant a lot to you. Uh, in my reading of you, Carla, I came across you being very close with Kim Kardashian. Mm-hmm. What kind of friendship did you guys have and what's she really like? Because all I know is from the show, which my wife thinks I do not watch, <laughs> um, but... Uh, <laughs> What's she really like, Kim? Kim is a very, I love Kim and I feel, I feel very grateful to have had this friendship, especially being in LA and, and being so close. Um, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time together and she's very switched on. She has an amazing work ethic. Um, I really looked up to her during those years in LA for somebody that can go for what they want and trust in themselves. And I think, I think that experience in general, um, and just seeing from where it started to where it is now, I'm actually very proud of her. Looks like a very hard worker. Very. I would cross the street to avoid her. I think she she intimidates me a bit. <laughs> I, uh, but I feel like you know, with her inner circle, like if you are lucky enough to be a friend of hers, yeah. you wouldn't want any other friend. Yeah, in person, she's she's really the sweetest person. And, you know, when cameras are down and lights are off, she's, she's you know, really mm. genuine. So living in Dubai for eight years or so now, you obviously heard a lot about Saudi. Uh, did you anticipate that things would unfold the way they are today in Saudi? I first came here in 2013. Um, I was so excited to, to get on the plane and, and visit Saudi for the first time. Um, and I can strongly say that I don't think anybody anticipated what's happening now and how quickly it's happened. Uh, five years ago, if you told me we were having uh, Formula One and Formula E and Middle Beast and the best concerts and the biggest film festival, don't think I could have imagined it in five years. I would agree. We didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have the 
the team, you know, the, the, the skilled people behind. It takes a lot to put Formula One together. And these guys at the Ministry of Sports or the General Entertainment Authority. And I feel genuinely like no event is big enough to host in Saudi today because what I saw them do in seven months in Formula One, and I went for both days, qualifying and the race. I'm looking around and I'm like, really, May is when they started? And no complaints by anyone here. It looked like they worked on it for, for two years, genuinely. Like it yeah. looked like, A, it wasn't their first track and I wasn't the one that said that. A Dutch guy next to me was saying that. It's like, it, it feels like it's almost like their sixth or, th or seventh race over here. There isn't, a, you know, a, a, a screw wrong. Everything is where it needs to be. And I'm like, wow, you did that. Uh, but before that came Dakar and they had a bit of experience there. In, and before that came Formula E. So it's almost like building a building. You know, you need to do Formula E and then Dakar. And it gives you a bit of confidence in saying, you know what, we are ready for Formula One today. And they delivered and they nailed it and they come back in March. Over-delivered. Sorry for, for over-delivered. Totally. Great totally. event. And yeah, five years ago, we just didn't have the... Is, is, is governance the right word? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but we just didn't have the right people in place. And today we do. And that's why I say that I don't think there's an event that's too big to host. The Red Sea Film Festival started a few days ago. Mm -hmm. Now, it looked like something out of LA. It, it did. I mean, I, I, was, I, I, I wish I could have been there. Just looking at the cameras, looking at the red carpet, it looked like the Oscars. It was amazing. You know, from where I was sitting watching, it looked like... It really was. And I, I, feel like, I feel like it was how film festivals really started, which was so beautiful because it was such a authentic and glamorous and, and just the energy in mm. Al Balad. Um, and cool it was location too, the historic beautiful. town. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful location. This this is a result of employing or putting the right people in place. I agree. You know what I mean? Like it was, uh, okay, who is the number one guy in Saudi who understands Hollywood and the culture? If anyone says someone besides Mohammed al-Turki, sorry, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> He's great. But they chose the right guy for the job and, and now look how that unfolded. He so was perfect for it. And, and Mo's actually been a friend of mine for almost 15 years and I'm so proud of him and it's almost like how everything happens for a reason mm -hmm. like he had to go to LA he had to spend this time abroad he had to do what he felt was good for him and look where he is today came back full circle you know his 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 country called upon him and he was ready I'm super proud of the guy, honestly, yeah, the right guy too. for the job. So this is just year one. Imagine next year. Mabruk Mo. Mabruk Mo, big time. I was lucky enough to have him on the show. So moving on, you did a bit of traveling through Saudi, didn't you? I did. Yeah, which I've, spots did you hit up? I've actually been to probably 15 places in Saudi now. Get out of here. <laughs> 15? That's way more than I. A lot of, a lot of Saudis. Wow. I've, I've had the, the privilege. Um, you know, we've been filming a lot in the kingdom for the last four and a half years. And to just be in Saudi and go to the most beautiful places from mountains to valleys to waterfalls that all the greenery. And, you know, a lot of people I'm always, you know, if I'm speaking to someone on email or whatever it may be, I'm like, greetings from Saudi. And people are just in shock. It's a typo. <laughs> yeah, they can't, they're like, we thought it was a desert. And then you have the Red Sea. and. You know, being in, in, in Jazan and Farisan Island that looks like the Maldives or Fiji, you know, the water is so clear. 
And I had an opportunity to go diving there, which was, you know, incredible because it's not a place that people are visiting yet. No and boats. It's untouched. It's virgin. It's untouched islands. Nice. So it was really beautiful. Um, Marine I, life, stingrays, any sh any sharks, anything that I don't want to see. You know what? I was I was always so scared to go diving for the sharks. Right? I right, was always so. afraid. Yeah. I don't want to go diving because I don't want to deal with the sharks. But this, when you dive for the first time and being underwater, I mean, it's probably the one time in my life that is a true meditation where you don't think about anything else but your breath. And that is like the most calming feeling. So now I really get why people go diving. I mean, it's the one time you can just so switch off. There's no phones, no social media. You're not trying to take pictures. You are focused on your breath and your breathing, and that's it. Something we can all do a little bit more. Yes. You're right, because when you're underwater, all you hear is your breath. Exactly. And no, and no phone. And no I didn't think about any shark. I'm like, bring it on. If you're a shark, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm focused right here. That's it. <laughs> Zend out. So cool. Uh, so you said you've been 15 regions and you did a bit of filming. I know that you were involved in Maskoon, the short. I want to know a little bit about that. We're actually very excited about Maskoon. Uh, we just released it. Uh, it premiered at the film festival the Red Sea Film Festival. Uh, and it's actually the first ever psychological thriller shot in El Balad. Right up my ass, my favorite genre, psychological thrillers. So Maskoon is a project we're really excited about. It just premiered at the Red Sea Film Festival. Um, it's starring Paris Vera, and it's directed by David Darg and Lena Maleka. Uh, Lena is someone we've been working with for the past few years. We got introduced um, to her from the Ministry of Culture years ago just to get some advice on areas in Jeddah. And we, we, loved, we loved her energy. We loved working with her. She's a local Jeddah girl. Exactly. Yeah. So we brought her on a lot of our projects. Amazing. And David Darg, our amazingly talented director, um, has really been mentoring her along with a lot of other young Saudis here in the region. And this is now her first directorial debut. So she directed it. She directed it. And we're, you know, it's it's a story that really touches on female empowerment and 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 being able to, you know, for Lena, I mean, she's go, she's gone to film school. She's from here. Uh, she has the vision. But to be able to work with our director who who might have, you know, he has the expertise and the art behind it. And he can, you know, it's just a perfect example of how well, you know, we can work together. Yeah. You know, a foreign production collaborating with a local Saudi crew. You don't see that very often. You don't. It's got the Saudi US DNA in it. And it's and it's and it shows like we need her. And she needed us. And for Paris Vera, who was so talented, and she's she's uh, not only an influencer, she's even beyond, you know, she's a photographer and she edits her own work. I love it. I love her content. And yeah, she's she's so talented. And you know, she moved here two years ago, and she was uh, an experienced actress in Los Angeles. But when she moved here, she. She, you know, came to visit her mother who who lives here and 
you know, loved acting, but there, there wasn't really a culture for it. There's no auditions happening. There's no castings. There's no, you know, you have to build the culture, totally. right? Yeah. So that's happening right before our exactly. eyes. Exactly. So it's, it's breeding ground almost. So just kind of knowing her work, and 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 we've always been a big fan of her, and seeing her work, of course, on Instagram. Um, you know, we reached out to her, and and you know, had her, you know do this film with us, which she's an amazing actress. And, and now it's, it, it kind of shows that we can, we can bring a culture somewhere and, and, and do it so well. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a case of watch this space. I think there's a lot more of that to come where you have, you know, locals and Americans or Westerners teaming up almost in a collaborative fashion to, uh, to build something. Because we're untapped. I mean, our region is untapped. I know Jared Butler is shooting something currently in Al Ula. Kandahar, yeah. Kandahar. That's, you know, pretty cool. And, and many on many occasions, what really pissed me off is that if there's a movie being shot about Saudi, I know damn well that's not Saudi. You know, I, the, 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 the license plates are Morocco or something. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't, I mean, at least just, you know, make us believe that it is Saudi. Right. But now, if there's a movie about Saudi, nine times out of 10, it's going to be shot in Saudi. Exactly. Because you're allowed to film here now. You know, you just submit whatever you need to the Ministry of, uh, I believe, Culture. Film Commission. Film yeah. Commission, and uh, and here you go. Mm -hmm. That's why um, our good friend David rolls around with a camera, and he's not the only guy that does it, and you can pretty much shoot anything you want. As, uh, exactly. We, yeah, we've really, they've, they've done a great job. Ministry of Culture, the Film Commission, um, they've really done a great job at welcoming yeah. filmmakers. Um, you know, they have Kandahar and Alula, they have Desert Warrior being shot in Tabuk. Um, we're shooting films. There's a lot happening. And it's, it's a good time and you have to collaborate. You have to work with the locals yeah. here. And what a great opportunity for both sides. Totally. You know, Maskun could not have happened without Lena and, and the other team. It, we have to have an authentic side of it, yeah. you know. And in and, and this 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 short, it's twenty minutes. Um, it's in Arabic and English, but you get the real authentic Saudi Arabic. So we we need each other, and yeah. I want to see more collaborations I love happening. The authenticity, I love it. I really do. Um, Newcastle United Football Club. So I went to school in England, and. Uh, I'm very close to the English soccer, as you would call it, or football. I, I support uh, Chelsea uh, until this deal went through. Um, and Smart when I lived man. in the UAE and our friends in Abu Dhabi picked up Manchester City, I was like, I hope one day we get a team. And then the Qataris went for PSG. And I said, I hope one day we pick up a team. And then a couple months ago, I hear that PIF are the new owners for Newcastle United Football Club, a team that A, has a huge fan base, B, is a one club city, no other clubs there in Newcastle, and C, has a state-of-the-art stadium. I know you have a role in it, and I want to know what the degree of that role is. Well, I'm happy you're a Newcastle fan now. Good choice. <laughs> totally. Uh, and I will say, yes, I... Um, I am very excited about that deal. I was involved. Um, 
I will say, you know, a majority of my business has been, you know, bringing companies together, bringing groups together. Um, I know that Saudi had been looking at a lot of different investments. Um, and what what an exciting opportunity to be able to have a Premier League team. And I'm just really excited about the future of it. It's a very strong club with rich history and looking forward to the future. There's big expectations and I'm sure big ambitions. So also it's another case of watch the space. I, I feel that the football world is, is scared. It's on pins and needles because um, we're going to go for it is what I feel. You know what I loved about the deal when it went through? How many local Newcastle natives were wearing our Saudi red headgear and uh, going to the match. Like I've, I saw English guys wearing the full top headgear, even the Mishlah for these. Yes. And never in my, I mean, what would it take to get that done in Newcastle? You couldn't script it even if you were a movie writer. I mean, I agree. And here you are, you know, it, it was just touching. The uh, the stadium was electric that day. It it was a new, I mean, the, the fans of Newcastle have been waiting so long for change. And I had the opportunity to be there and just seeing, you know, people in thobes and gatras and the Saudi flag just put a big smile on my face. And a lot of Saudis too made the trek to that opening game. And here you are, Saudis and local Newcastles for the first time ever cheering for the same thing. And that's just the beginning. We're united. We are united, Newcastle United. Newcastle in the kingdom. Yes, indeed, I love that. There's your next movie. Carla, a few days when we spoke, you mentioned a project that you're working on that you're super excited about. It's an online streaming platform called Arabia Plus. And uh, I was like, you know what? Tell me no more. I wanna hear it on the show. So can you uh, tell us a bit about Arabia Plus? Yes, yeah, so Arabia Plus is a passion project of mine. Um, I've been working with my partners, David Dark and Don Olivieri on it. Um, we've been shooting in this part of the world for, for the last you know four and a half years, like I mentioned. And Arabia Plus is a platform that will be telling Middle East stories, predominantly in English, and also a place for filmmakers from this part of the world to showcase their work. And there's been a lot of amazing films that have been made, award-winning films and, and, and festivals that doesn't always get to travel. Got it. It stays more regional. And they're just such great opportunities to showcase to the world these other formats that aren't being shown. So we want to create a home and a hub for filmmakers from all over the Middle East and showcase their work on this platform. And as well as we are creating new original content and we've already, we've already worked on about six projects and we'll continue creating these projects. And Arabia Plus is a production studio, but it is also you know, the added asset is this platform, which you can also put your work on. Is it going to be something available on the App Store? It will, yes. Right. We so will. you're kind of competing with 
who regionally do you, is there any is there anyone in that space you know i don't i don't think we're in a place to be competing mm -hmm. we're not relying on the acquisition of of getting a huge amount of titles i think we want to be the cool brand um you know how i would explain it to some people you know we want to be the yeezy complimenting adidas or you know the virgil Abloh complimenting louis vuitton like it's that you know we want to be this this young yeah. extension where we can work with other streamers and other uh networks and just adding you know our touch and our you know vision towards new projects there's so many and people don't realize this but there's so many rich stories that have never been told and it won't travel unless you tell it in english and here we are at a time i mean you know yourself with the 2030 vision we're really trying to open up and it's a country that you know has been closed for so long so now we have the opportunity to showcase and be relatable and and show how powerful our stories can be and people can see them I love that you use the words we and our when referencing Saudi Arabia. Yes, I consider. I, I, I love it, honestly. <laughs> I'll just take a second to just appreciate that. The grand we. Because yeah. you feel like you are one of us. You've been here long enough. You have immersed yourself in the culture. And I mean, I was just noticing you twice. You said we, and then once you said our, and that really touched me. Oh, so thank you. I, I, I feel that and I feel you know, even even living in Dubai and, 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 and spending so much time in Saudi, I do speak like that. And I do feel that I'm part of the up and coming change and how and how fast things are evolving. And I feel welcomed. You know, I feel part of the movement. It doesn't matter that I'm American from Florida. <laughs> I'm, you know, I've been here for for a long time and I'm I'm happy to work with everyone and consider us all family in a way. I don't think you're moving back. <laughs> um, Definitely not to Florida. <laughs> what's something uh, we don't know about Carla? Oh, wow. Well, a lot of things. I try to keep a lot of things <laughs> private. Um, I think, I mean, I did say I didn't go to college, which a lot of people always ask me, you know, what, what university did you go to? And I used to I used to feel a bit ashamed, like here I am sitting in this room and everyone studied, you know, at these Ivy League, Ivy League schools. And but, you know, at at 21 years old, I started working for a wonderful casino mogul called Steve Wynn, who basically created the skyline of Las Vegas. Um, I got a position with him while I was working for the chairman of a movie studio. And I, I made a big decision um, after having this dream of moving to LA and being in production and film. And one day I get a call to move my entire life to Las Vegas to work for Steve Wynn. And I was, um, I was taking a woman's position that was with him for 31 years. And he says, you know, I can't, I can't go out and broadcast this position or, you know, take applications for it. And I know you work well where you are now, but I want to give you this opportunity.
And I had to really make a big decision. Do I give up this passion and, and, and production and working for a movie studio to go live in Las Vegas and, and work for him? And I remember I called my father and he was like, if you don't take the job, I will. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, this must be a big deal. Let me call Steve. Exactly. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. It was, it was, um, I think it was better though at that time that I didn't really know the importance of it because I was more into hanging out with my friends and watching movies and learning more about studios and production and scripts. And so I wasn't really, you know, understanding what I was getting into. And I just remember moving my life to Las Vegas him and his wife found me a place. And I think it, everything happened within three weeks. And here I am working at the, the Wynn in his office. Everybody in the office had been working there for the last 25 years. And here I am 21 years old going on 22, starting this new position. I think I had like Picasso above my desk and a Turner in the restroom and <laughs> all this art. And it was just, I tell everyone now, it was really my free tuition to Harvard. And I actually got paid for it, so. <laughs> it beats Harvard in my book. Exactly, it was, it was so, I learned everything there. And I think that's why I am where I am today because I worked with him and I was like a sponge you know, just being able to be on the phone, you know, understanding how business works, watching him start a project, watching him complete a project, watching him work on a deal, what gets involved from investment bankers to, you know, advisors to everything, and just kind of seeing people getting things done. Two questions. First one is, my God, you must have met some influential people. The second one, because I have a tendency to forget things, is do you feel that it changed the way you do business, you negotiate, you talk to potential clients, just being around Steve Wynn, do you see yourself incorporating that today? First question is, my God, you must have met some influential people. I met a lot of amazing people. And I remember just, you know, sometimes you know, we'd have Bill Gates come in the office or Warren Buffett and Steve Schwartzman and all these amazing people and just being able to witness, you know, these are the guys making things happen, you know, they're, they're really- World leaders. Yeah, world leaders and, and just seeing how Steve deals with people in general. I mean, he had such a vision um, and he knew what he wanted he was, you know, very decisive. So I learned a lot about, you know, figuring out what you want, getting clear on it and, and going for it, you know? And I would hear the, the craziest ideas in the office, like I wanna do this and build that and, you know, and then watch it happen and realize, you know, we all have the same amount of hours in the day. We all can do the same thing. It's just having the goals and the passion and getting clear on it. He's, he's the kind of person that I feel doesn't know what the word impossible means. And whenever I go to Vegas, I always stay there. And I never change the TV channel because it's his voice. And he has a very soothing voice. 
So in a way, me and you are connected through Steve Wynn. <laughs> yes. um, serious. It's he does all, have all, an amazing voice. Amazing He's like voice. a character. Yeah, but he talks about what restaurants we have, what shops we have, you know, what, what to do, what to, you know, what, what's good this time of year in Vegas. And I just leave that on TV and the encore is where I always stay. So I look forward to going back. Yeah. Um, how stressful is, we touched on, you know, business deals and what you learned, um, you know, in your time in Vegas. How stressful is and how do you deal with stress when trying to close one of the big deals that you have closed, one of the many big deals that you've closed? It's very stressful. <laughs> how, do you, how do you deal with stress? It's um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of practice on, on not worrying so much. And you know, it's so easy to get anxious about something. And we all have it, right? We all get anxiety. We get nervous. We don't know if we're doing the right thing. We have imposter syndrome. We don't know if we're fit for it. So I think a lot of it is, you know, when I get an idea, sometimes it's it's so massive that I'm like, oh, I'm not right for it. Let me just run away from it because I'm not the right. But you know what? You get to a point and, you know, I will say for, for any deal I've worked on, you know, I'm here because I'm the best person for it because I wouldn't be here if if I wasn't. So I'm the one putting in the work, putting in the time, learning about it, and I should be here. And everyone needs to trust themselves and welcome that. It's a great attitude, knowing that you, you're the right person for the job. Earlier we spoke about you know the right person for the job, and I think the moment you feel that you are the right person for the job, I don't think anything's stopping you because your confidence exactly. will be sky high. It'll help you in everything, in negotiating and communicating. Yeah. And, and it takes a lot of, you know, getting clear on what you want and what you want to do, um, you know. And I, I mean, I tell everyone, it's, and it's also, you know, even if you don't have experience in something, if you want to be, you know, a fashion designer like my good friend Arwa Banawi, or you want to, you know, make a film, but you don't know where to start, you know, you can recruit some pretty great people to be behind you and help you get to where you need to go. And if that's your passion, then, you know, you go and focus your energy and be surrounded by people that are doing things that you like. Relationship with your parents. Are you still close with mom and dad? I am. My dad is actually my best friend. He knows everything going on in my life. Sometimes he calls me way too much, but I really, I really appreciate having him. Um, and and growing up, uh, I think my mom had the role of the bad cop, and I think I really tortured her, especially being the only girl. I have a twin brother and I have an older brother, and being the only girl, it was like they got so much freedom but I was the girl, so it was different for me on what I was able to do. And it's very, it's very Arab, Arab style. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the girl the is. The Italian is. and the, uh, <laughs> the Arab, nafsiche. So a uh, big part of your life, I mean, in, in, in mentorship and all that, I mean, you reach out to your dad today if you're you know, going through something that you're not sure how to solve. Yeah, you know, the, the thing about my dad is he's, he's great with one-liners. He's great with, I have an issue that I'm stressed about, 
and I can call him and I know he's gonna be very subtle and he'll just give me, you know, he'll he'll tell me a 30 minute, you know, you know, speech, but he'll also give me a one liner that sits with me and and helps me to figure it out. And you kind of can figure it out, you know, when someone's talking through things with you like he does, he's not, you know, trying to tell me exactly how to do it, but we're trying to get to a place where I'm figuring it out to myself on how to react and how to do it on my own. That's a very interesting approach. What do you admire most about him? You know, I think growing up, he's always been the person, he's always been the person that is like, just do the right thing. Always just do the right thing. Be honest and do the right thing. And I think now I really live with that every day. You know, just being a good person, doing the right thing. And it's great advice. Yeah. I mean, if I had, you know, one last thing to tell my son, um, it'll probably be that, you know, do the right thing. Because yeah. if you do the right thing, then the right thing will come back to you, you know, karma. Yeah. I believe in karma. I believe in, you know, things always come back. And, you know, even today in, in my life and in my work, you know, I don't discredit any person, any relationship, any meeting. You know, I try to treat everyone equally and see the opportunity and goodness in everyone. Would you want to be a parent one day? <laughs> I think so. It's a ner I think, nervous laugh. Yeah. I think um I think the thought I've never been the girl growing up that dreamed of this big wedding and dreamed of having a bunch of kids. I don't know why actually, but I never had those visions. I think it's really important to find the right partner and knowing that I'm having kids because it's going to be his kids or he's going to be a good father to our kids. You know, I think it's really important to, you know, find a good partner to have. And until then, I'm going to work. <laughs> to someone in mind. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think, yeah, for sure. It's the hardest. Uh, you know, we have very few, very few choices in life. And the choices that we do have, we want to get them right. And choosing a spouse is the biggest decision I think anyone can make. It could be the result of your happiness or unhappiness. Yeah, I think the biggest thing on marriage is, is expectations. And when those aren't met, and especially nowadays, people just aren't putting in the work or the effort yeah. or got married just to settle and I've heard that a lot. Like, you're too picky. You need to just, you know, have you thought of just settling? No, I will not settle. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of people settling and then they're unhappy and then they wonder why they're unhappy because you didn't put any thought into who you wanted to spend the rest of your life with. Exactly. And if you're, if you're patient and, you know, take your time, things will, things will work out bigger than you imagined. I believe that. Yeah. What's the craziest thing you've done for love? <laughs> I would say I've been crazy. <laughs> not not a psycho crazy. I'm sorry, but... I was very reluctant to ask this question, but, but uh, <laughs> thank you for rolling with it. I definitely, yeah, I would say um, 
moved you know, for some of you, but like. I've definitely, um, there's not like a specific situation. I feel like I'm a very calm person, um, but I think something I've done crazy is I just act crazy maybe. That, that's what happens sometimes. I love, love Mrs. Do crazy <laughs> things for sure. Um, moving on, what's your worst fear, Carla? Wow, my worst fear. I've definitely had a few fears. Um, I try not to, I try to move past the fear because it's, you know, something that hasn't happened yet and might not ever happen. So why worry about it twice? Mm -hmm. Um, but if I had to think of something specific, um, I would say probably uh, probably losing everything. That you've worked for. Yeah, I think that's a big fear. It's a good answer. Because you've worked so hard to get to where you are. You, yeah. You... yeah, and I've actually, um, it's actually happened to me, you know, probably um, I think I was around 25 or 26 and I decided to get into a real estate investment that was a Ponzi scheme and I lost everything. And I was very young and I had worked really hard and I was just freshly back in LA and I remember thinking, oh my God, this, you know. So I think knowing that feeling and having to rebuild, you know, now I look back and I realized it had to happen because I probably would have something bigger would have happened later on. And I'm very aware now. Um, but yeah, I guess definitely say, you know, losing everything you work for. Which goes into my next point, a mistake you'd never do again. You had to go through that to learn. Now you do extra due diligence on everything. And that's probably without that happening to you, maybe just maybe you aren't as successful as you are today. I agree. I, yeah. How, how about that? So everything happened. I think, yeah, I think there's no mistakes in life. And if you walk around thinking about all the mistakes you made, you know, what's, it happened. It's, it's already the past. So just move forward because in every situation, which I'm not gonna call a mistake, you know, you come out later and you realize it wasn't a mistake because I learned this and now I know better. So now I will do better. So there's no mistake. So you believe everything happens for a reason. Oh yeah, that's my everyday belief. And I, I live by that. Everything you go through happens for a reason. And everything you do is, you know, it's kind of has to come within and you, and you learn, you know, at that moment, it hurts and it's difficult and you try to understand why and with everything. But if you get to a place where you know there's a silver lining in everything happening, then you'll, you know, you can feel better about it. So looking back on everything that you've been through, is there anything that you regret or would want to do over? No regrets. None? No regrets. I never got that answer. Stepping stones, all life lessons, stepping stones. You can't have regrets. I recently read something, you either win or you learn. 
And when you learn, you win as well. Exactly. So you kind of really either win or win. Exactly. It's always a win-win. Changing the way I, I think of things now. No, no regrets. <laughs> That's it. I'm canceling my regrets. No regrets. So um, if you had the attention of the world for 24 hours on a billboard, what message would you want to send out to the people of the world? So I think if I had um, a billboard, I would want it to be two-sided. Oh, you're getting uh, <laughs> creative now. And one side would say, Min jadda wajad. Min jadda wajad. That's an Arabic which, proverb. Yeah. Which, he, who f- he who finds, he who seeks, finds. He who seeks, finds. Yeah. So if you put out positive, that's what you'll get back. Very interesting. That touches on the whole karma thing as well. Yeah, Do exactly. good, good comes back. You know, if you, yeah. Exactly. Do good and good will come to you. And on... Face B. Will be another, uh, should we do Arabic? Yeah, I mean, seems to be your go-to language. <laughs> I love I love phrases and sayings in Arabic. They're so deep. And I feel like we don't always have that in English. So anytime I, I can catch on to a good saying, I, I try to I try to stick with it. What do you think of the writing, the calligraphy? I love it. Isn't it beautiful? It's beautiful. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, so Face B. Uh, Translated is seek optimism and you will find positivity or optimism in return. Yeah, manifest good thoughts. Put good thoughts out there always. If you think positively, that's how you are going to feel. It's such a cool little proverb or I mean, I can imagine like an artist writing that and I'd put that on a poster somewhere in my house. Yeah, I really, I have, I have two books at home that have all these beautiful sayings and I love to just, you know, catch up on them sometimes and, and remember them. So nice. Shukran. Carla, any closing words before we say goodbye to you? Well, thank you so much for having me. And... Um, I guess closing words. Um, I would just tell everyone to to dream big, think positive, and work towards something you're really passionate about. Do what you like to do, because that's when you'll feel your best. I cannot agree or echo more what you just said. I mean, if this uh, girl in northern Florida, sorry, I forgot the name of the town, Sarasota. Sarasota. Like, shout out to Sarasota. Florida. Shout out to Sarasota. You know, went to Los Angeles and then to Vegas under Steve Wynn and then to the UAE. And um, and just a few months ago was involved in a very big deal with PIF and Newcastle. If she can do it, anyone else can do it by putting yourself out there and not being afraid of what can go wrong. You know, be more into what can go right. So if you can do it, anyone else can, and it's really, really inspiring. Thank you. Living proof. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you Carla, so for coming Mark. on. Thank you. Sorry, I think I took way too much of your time. I know you've got a lot, a lot of stuff to do tonight. It's fine. I'm happy to be here. Really appreciated your time here. Shukran. And um, all the best. Inshallah. Thanks Shukran. so much. Ma